Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported. That means we truly depend on you in order to bring this resource to you. If you don't already support us financially, you could do so. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. You'll see our three friendly yellow buttons there. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. Click on one of them and fill that out. If you'd like to support us the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, January 29th, 2019. Yeah, fighting for the faith is like we give demonstrations on 10,000 ways how not to teach God's word or to avoid teaching it by twisting it up. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is no shortage of really crazy things being said out there. We take the time to open up God's Word, to compare and contrast with the most popular Pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine that's put forward by, uh, for consumption by the average evangelical yeah, it's, it's not even close anymore. I, I started this program 10 years ago. Um, you know, it was there was at least attempts to make it look biblical. And now it's just so it's oh, man. Yeah, it's, it's hard to think about how bad it's become. <sighs> All right. Case in point. Let's talk about what we're going to do on uh, this installment of Fighting for the Faith. We're going to begin with a new apostolic reformation update we're going to head over to the Toronto Airport Church as we listen to John Arnott teach us about the doctrine of suddenlies yeah su- suddenlies yeah if you've listened to fighting for the faith for any amount of time you've heard about the doctrine of suddenlies but uh, this time we're going to kind of really you know dig into <laughs> can you call it digging into this doctrine so- all of a sudden we're going to just steer right into uh, tearing this suddenly doctrine apart. It's its just an overused adverb, and using suddenlies in a plural like that just doesn't make any sense either. It's just uh, a way to avoid what the scriptures say. Uh, we'll take a break after that. When we come back, we'll listen to uh, T.D. Jakes explaining to us how we can position ourselves to prosper. And get this, I am not making this up. He is... 
going to go into the book of Genesis and take parts of the fall of man, the story of the temptation in the garden, and turn it into a tithing text. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not making that up, and you don't bet against me. I When I tell you something like that, it's really true. That's really what's going to happen. And, uh, and then hour number two uh, for our sermon review, we're going to head down to Planet Shakers in Australia. As we listen to Russell Evans explain all these different things that we've got to do, uh, if we want to plan to succeed, you know, because Christianity is all about, you know, planning to succeed. I mean, because the disciples, I mean, oh, man, these guys had corner offices. Some of them were vice presidents and CEOs and stuff. And, you know, after applying all those those great principles that Jesus gave them during his ministry time here on earth, they all went on to have just stellar careers uh, you know, uh, notable, no, notable movers and shakers and things like that. Uh, they were very, very successful. No, they weren't. Like Peter was crucified upside down. They were most of these guys were martyred. <sighs> anyway, I think you get the point. I, you know, I feel my frustration levels lately have been a little on the high side. I, I wonder if I should take some kind of, uh, you know, one of those stress relieving teas or something like that, just to kind of dial it back and find my center again, you know, go to my happy place, something like that. (laughs) All right, so that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. We've got a lot of ground we need to cover. And uh, since we're heading to the Toronto Airport Church, let's do this. So I was having this wedding, and and we had, well, we didn't have, we Yeah, that's right. We're heading off to the uh, Toronto Airport Church. We're going to be listening to John Arnott. Um, and they, what are they up on there? Like 25-year 25, 25 anniversary of the uh, so-called Toronto blessing. Uh, it was not a blessing. It was definitely a curse. And uh, John Arnott is going to be talking about suddenlies. Yeah. And this is a doctrine that is a huge, huge part of the uh, charismatic movement. And why? Well, because they got to keep you on the hook. I, you know, so let me explain. So you attend an NAR church or you know somebody in the charismatic movement who believes in modern day prophets and apostles. And so some itinerant prophet or apostle comes in. You go. You you go to this. You go to the line, and they're going through and working people over, and some people are falling over and stuff, and then the prophet gives a, uh, a prophecy regarding you. Yeah, that's right, you, you, oh, you're going to, oh, you're going to be, uh, you're, uh, you're going to be a, an apostle to the nations. You're going to change the world. You're, you're going to conquer uh, the fifth mountain of the seven mountain mandate, and uh, you're going to do all these things before you're 27, and uh, and so you now so this is the prophecy given over you and so now you get to be you're getting up in years you're up to 26 and you know you got one year before 
<laughs> all this is supposed to be fulfilled. And so, I, hey, how come what that prophet said isn't coming to pass? Well, don't worry. Because there, we have this doctrine of suddenlies, and you know, and God does the unexpected; He does it really suddenly. So suddenly, you'll have your breakthrough, and and you'll get your stuff. I, I think you get the idea, but I'll let John Arnott explain it a little bit more himself. Here we go. Let's begin with a verse of scripture from Acts chapter two, uh, verses one and two. Because all right, let's pull that up. <clears throat> See, Greek New Testament, Acts 2, verses 1 and 2. See, right there in verse 2, I see the word suddenly. This is a Bible teaching, right? No, it really isn't. Uh, But uh, let's go back. Here we go. This is after Jesus has suddenly departed. And you can get in touch with that a little bit. The disciples have been on this roller coaster ride of they left everything and followed him. Yeah. Three and a half years of intensive ministry. Intensive, yeah. Uh, where they saw the most incredible things. Most incredible, yeah. The dead being raised. Imagine Lazarus dead after four days. There was a suddenly right there. Nobody was expecting that one. No one saw that coming. It just happened so suddenly, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't recall in John chapter 11 where. The word suddenly is referenced regarding the raising of Lazarus. You know, I'm just saying, it's not really an emphasis of that text. Suddenly, he's taken, crucified, and he's dead, and it seems like it's all over. Bam! And then they get word that suddenly he's alive again. All of a sudden. And so, wait a minute, it's all back. All of a sudden on the third day, whoosh! Yeah, again, the suddenly is not an emphasis of the resurrection. <laughs> Jesus actually said, I'll, you know, third day I'll rise. Expect me on the third day. So, I mean, they went all <laughs> Friday and Saturday and, you know, I'm just saying this. Gone. Jesus is back. And wow. he's like, no, I'm, I'm leaving actually. But we're going to be sending the Holy Spirit. So I want you to go and wait in Jerusalem. And one of the great suddenlies of Scripture is yeah. here for us in Acts chapter 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll just read a, a couple of verses quickly. Yeah. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, right. they were all with one accord in one place. Right. And I think that one accord is helpful. That yeah. You know, when Christians are together and they're all arguing. And that means they were in a Honda. Fighting and then strife and everything arguing over who's the greatest or whatever it is, right. that's not really helpful no. for encouraging the presence of the Lord to come. How many understand? But here they're in one accord, and then they're in one place. They're subdued by the seriousness of the circumstances and the unfolding of all the events that have just happened around them. Right. And then suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And so it's just a gathering kind of like this. Everybody has, you know, figuring, well, we're together and we're going to be praying and we're going to wait on God and see what we do next and all of that sort of thing. And suddenly, supernatural enters in. And it's not just, did you hear something? I thought that was a wind or what, what was that? No, no, it was a massive wind that sound like a rushing hurricane. Yeah, I, I would note that in the narrative, 
stopping on the word suddenly, trying to really tease that out, is like missing the whole point of the text. Uh, yeah, let me explain. So when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like the mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house, and they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared on them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's an, it's a historical narrative, so the adverb suddenly explains how quickly it all happened when it finally happened. But the suddenly is not the point. And so you're going to note what he's doing is he's putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable. And by doing so, he's trying to create a doctrine regarding suddenlies, which the scripture doesn't itself teach. And it's based upon now going, see, we saw the word suddenly. In fact, I'm going to do something really quick here. I've suddenly made a decision that I'm going to suddenly uh, look for the word suddenly, and we're going to do a text search in all of the Bible. And, uh, And so in the ESV translation of the Bible, the adverb suddenly appears... 38 times. First appearance, Numbers, chapter 6. Yeah. If any man dies very suddenly, I mean, Genesis goes without suddenly. Exodus, no suddenlies in Exodus. Leviticus, none. First appearance of suddenly is in Numbers. Hmm. Doesn't see. <laughs> So I'm just pointing this out because what John Arnott's doing here is um, not really teaching a biblical doctrine. There's a reason for it. Filled the whole house, and then tongues of fire rested on each of them. Just look at the person next to you. Imagine a flame on their head going like that. And what does that do to your awarenesses? Makes me want to go grab a fire extinguisher. You know, you would do that if anyone's hair was on fire. If you don't, that would be cruel. Inside, you're like, God is in the place. You know, you just get that shocking awareness that everything has changed. And And it happens so suddenly. We're all filled with the Holy Spirit began to speak in tongues. And so that's, that's an example of the suddenness of God. Now, the word is mentioned about 72 times in Scripture. And so we have a litany of things in the Bible that are mentioned as suddenly and a whole bunch of other events that are not mentioned as a suddenly, but... Th- yeah, there's a whole bunch that are suddenly. And there's a 38 total suddenlies in the ESV. Where? For example, the creation. Just suddenly, there's Adam and Eve. Well, well no, um... You see, there are no appearances of the word suddenly in the book of Genesis. First time it shows up is numbers. Yeah. Um, And Adam and Eve didn't just, you know, suddenly appear. He's like, hello, here we are. No, no, that's not how that happened. Um, (laughs) God formed Adam from the dust and breathed into his nostrils of breath. Yeah, and he became a living being. Right, and then you know, of course, then you have the whole thing where, and, and you know, Adam and Eve were created on the sixth day of creation, and then you got Adam, you know, being shown all of the, 
you know, animals and there no suitable helper was found for him. And, you know, God had to, you know, put him under the anesthesia, take out one of his ribs and then fashioned Eve. See, that didn't happen very suddenly. There was a surgery involved. So what he's just saying is like not even true. And the word suddenly doesn't even appear in the, the book of Genesis. And uh, almost as suddenly, they're out of the garden. Yeah, suddenly. And then suddenly, there's a flood. So, yeah, that, I mean, so there they are. You know, they're, they're leaving the garden, and they're looking back and saying goodbye. You know, goodbye, Garden of Eden. And <gasps> suddenly, there's a flood. No, that's not how that went down either. It's like, <sighs> again, the word suddenly doesn't appear. In Genesis. Flood is an interesting one because there were warnings that were leading up to it. Yeah, yeah. And I think Noah was about 200 years building it, so they had a 200-year warning message that... Yeah, 200 years of warning about a flood. And then suddenly, you know, out of nowhere. You see, the word suddenly doesn't, isn't, doesn't appear in the biblical text as it relates to the flood either. What is he up to, you're asking? I'll explain in a minute. Eventually, they paid no attention to. Yeah. 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 And then suddenly, suddenly. They, the animals all gathered in. They, they went in the ark, and it began to rain. Suddenly. And boy, it just didn't stop until uh, a disastrous flood hit the whole earth. Yeah. But it was a suddenly. No, it wasn't a suddenly because the word suddenly doesn't appear in Genesis. Joseph's enslavement was a suddenly. You know, he was... Yeah, again, Joseph's enslavement, book of Genesis, where it suddenly is not used in conjunction with his slavery. Ah, a, a bit of a super spiritual kid, perhaps you might say that. He's having all these dreams, and he's sharing them with his brothers. Yeah. And they resented it. They hated him for it. Yeah. <clears throat> and so... When he came to them, they wanted to kill him, but they settled for selling him to the Amalekites. Suddenly, he's on his way to Egypt, and he's... Yeah, suddenly, just suddenly. ...finds himself being sold as a slave, and he's in the house of Potiphar. That's a bad suddenly, man. Makes me not want one... Ha I don't want a suddenly to happen to me, at least not that kind. You know? And he, that went okay for, for a while, and he gained some prestige there and some influence notice he's not actually teaching any biblical text he's just kind of looking for some suddenlies as he muses and ruminates in his brain about yeah how did this happen oh yeah it happened suddenly there and suddenly this and yeah. then he's falsely accused and suddenly he's in prison mm -hmm. life can go that way for you it can it? yeah the suddenlies are not all good no but if we follow the life of Joseph through, we'll find that God will turn those suddenlies, those disasters. God will turn the suddenly events to be a blessing for you. <laughs> what? What biblical text says that? There's events around to make it a blessing somehow for you because Joseph eventually got out because Pharaoh now has... So God has to turn your suddenly events around and turn them into a blessing. Why? Because Joseph. Okay. Well, dreams that are suddenly. 
and nobody can interpret them. No. And so they remember this Hebrew in prison. They get him out. and he, They were too hard to interpret because of how suddenly they happened, you know. And boom, he's the prime minister. Boom. Suddenly. Boom. How do you go from prison to prime minister? Suddenly, yeah. That only happens in the economy of God, doesn't it? I want you yeah, now I'm going to explain what he's up to. Because you're sitting there going, he's not really teaching the Bible. No, he's not. He's not teaching the Bible at all. And the suddenly doctrine serves several, at least two notable uh, two notable things that the suddenly doctrine provides in the charismatic or new apostolic reformation churches, NAR churches, all right? So here's one way they use it, and that is, is that they use the suddenly doctrine to then say, look, there's a pattern in the Bible. Suddenly, boom. Suddenly, boom. Suddenly, boom. And so now let's get our heads out of the Bible and, oh, you know, that Toronto blessing back in from 1994 happened 25 years ago. And you know what? It showed up suddenly. Oh, see, that follows the pattern of the Bible, man. So that means the whole Toronto blessing thing, dude, it's for real. Yeah, I'm not making that up. Uh, so uh, here's, we'll fast forward a little bit. Here's John Arnott, just a little later in the video, using the suddenly doctrine that he's just spun out of Scripture, which isn't really there, to compare it to the 1994 outpouring of the Toronto so-called blessing. That would be a suddenly. Now, we talked about the suddenly that happened here back in, in 94. Now, see, in hindsight, there were indicators and prophetic words. Yeah, see, there was a suddenly there at Toronto in 94. Yeah. That were telling us that God is about to do something significant in, in your lives in Toronto. Mm -hmm. But see, you, you get used to hope deferred. Yeah. You get your hopes up. But when you're, when you're a young person, you're full of vim, vigor, and vitality. You're like, hey, we're going to go out and take the world. But you kind of get knocked down to size, I don't know, somehow in life. Anybody find that besides me? And so you're, like, you're not quite so self-assured anymore, and you're a little more cautious. We ultimately went to Argentina, and uh, suddenly happened. We got prayer again. For so the suddenly happened in Argentina. Yeah, and so you'll note then, the, by claiming that that pattern repeated in 1994... He's now using the suddenly doctrine to prove, at least to the audience there, that the Toronto so-called blessing was a legitimate move of God because, you know, it followed the suddenly pattern. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this, this is really deceitful. Another wonderful man of God, Claudio Friesen. I had no expectation anything was going to change, but it did. There was an impartation that was given to both of us at that time. Right. And we kind of knew something had shifted. I mean, Carol led two people to Christ on the airplane coming. See, that proves. See, the fact she led two people to Christ on the airplane, that proves that there was a suddenly, and that all of this stuff from 1994, which led to the... Toronto blessing, that that was all from God, because, you know, suddenly. From Argentina. That has never happened before or since. One thing led to another. We invited Randy Clark. When he came, kaboom, the Holy Spirit fell. And we, 
and he have never been the same never. since. Right. It was a sudden. Why? God intervened, and as usual, he did it suddenly. Now, he doesn't always do things suddenly. Sometimes. See, God intervened, and he did it suddenly. So that's one way the suddenly doctrine is used. And note, the Bible really doesn't teach the suddenly doctrine. This is a man-made manifestation, if you would, a twisting of Scripture. And you can't exegete you know, biblical text and come up with this doctrine. Now, the second way it's used, you have to work with me here. So you, let's pretend you attend the charismatic or new apostolic reformation church, right? And so they have living apostles or living prophets, and they hear directly from God, the Holy Spirit all the time, right? And so part of the deal is, is that, you know, as part of the service on some, at some point, you're going to be ushered up to the front where you're going to do this voluntarily and, prophetess or prophet so-and-so is going to decree and declare, thus saith the Lord over you. And they'll say something like, I'm hearing the Lord say that you are going to be uh, an evangelist to the nations. Oh, and you're going to be a shaker, and there's, there's going to be shakings in the world. It's, millions will hear the gospel through you. <sighs> okay, so you know, aren't you important, right? So you hear something like that prophesied over you. And then another person, maybe a woman who is infer- infertile. She's, she's incapable of uh, conceiving. And so the prophetess says, oh, the Lord is telling me you are going to have five children biologically. Yeah, they, they will come from your womb and, and, and they, they will be miraculous. And this is what's going to happen. And so, all right. So you've got these two people who have received different prophecies, but all of the prophecies were given to them by false prophets. God didn't say any of this stuff, right? So now the guy who's sitting there going, when am I going to be a pro- when am I going to be evangelist to the nations? And it's never happening, man. None of the nations are inviting me. I never get invi- invitations to go and preach the gospel ever. Yeah, because he's <laughs> God hasn't called him to do this, right? And so the the prophecy sits unanswered, unfulfilled. Same with the woman who the barren woman who isn't conceiving. Mm-hmm. She ain't conceiving. She ain't getting five kids, and she ain't getting any closer to you know, twenty anymore. She's heading, you know, day by day, getting a lot closer to actual menopause, and she ain't got no kids. And she's saying, "When is this going to happen?" So the way the suddenly doctrine then is used in the charismatic movement is to you'll hear that prophecies to say that ahead we have a a season of suddenlies. A season of acceleration and breakthroughs and, and suddenlies are going to be unleashed because prophet so-and-so said so. So it creates the anticipation that, oh, that unfulfilled prophecy that I was told, of, you know, that hasn't happened yet. It's going to suddenly happen now. So it's a way of kind of keeping the hook in your brain and creating the anticipation that this thing is going to happen. It's just around the corner you just got to hang in there a little longer. Oh, and keep tithing. You just got to hang. It's it's going to be here any second now. In fact, can't you hear the trumpets? They're announcing its arrival. It's happening suddenly. Can you? You know, this is how this is. So they always create this anticipation. And uh, to kind of give you an example of this, we're heading over to a YouTube channel, uh, VFNTV, and they're going to, yeah, you might want to get some gauze for your ears because we're going to hear Cindy Jacobs yelling. But they, they are going to be talking about, oh, 
suddenly's and uh, here's the host and let me fact back this up just a little bit uh, he- here we go to get new notifications of new success secrets made available on VFN TV. Welcome, welcome back. We have so many prophecies. We're not going to be able to get to all of them today. No. But we have other yeah. prophecy from Cindy Jacobs talking about the suddenlies. John, what is it? Well, it's the acceleration of suddenlies. Get ready. Watch this. <laughs> the acceleration of suddenlies. Wow. Right. <laughs> Sometimes when something hits me suddenly, it's like, ah. You know, and then, then I need Pepto-Bismol. But anyway. Accelerations, accelerations, and suddenly, suddenly. Sometimes you're believing for a thing, and it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen, and then suddenly, there it is right before you. Suddenly, you have the healing in your family. Suddenly, you got that job offer. Suddenly, you find a house that you know you can get into. You've got to believe God for the suddenly. You see what I'm saying here? It's not even a biblical doctrine. And boy, is it used to manipulate people. And she does the manipulation while screaming at you. Anyway. In the meantime, just keep steady. Keep steady. Keep being faithful. Keep giving. Keep doing what God tells you to do. Because I tell you, there will be a day and there will come a time when all of a sudden your family's restored. All of a sudden, boom, suddenly, man, your family's restored. God doesn't promise this. Times it happens when you're not looking for it anymore. You're just doing what God has called you. Just walking down the street chewing bubblegum, man. And all of a blammo. Yes. Suddenly. And bang, it happens. And God does it in such unusual ways. Basta! Lord said to me, you're not even going to be able to figure out how ingenious what I'm going to do for your life. Yeah. How I'm going to fix that business problem or fix that problem in your family yeah. or fix that problem at your job. It's going to be so suddenly and so ingenious, God is going to move them out. I remember one time Mike was working for American Airlines and there's this guy that came in and started persecuting him. He was the financial comptroller for American Airlines. And they were just this guy, I mean, he took all his employees away. He ended up, you know, sitting at a desk. He had no work to do day after day after day. It was just very, very difficult. But in the end, that guy was fired completely and Mike got a promotion. It happened so suddenly. Because we kept decreeing. We kept believing that he was the head and not the tail. We kept believing that he was going to have justice. That if somebody touches him, they touch the apple of the Lord's eyes. Are you understanding this? I'm using the gift of exhortation. No, you're not. You're using the gift of manipulation and twisting of God's word. The prophets have to tell you this. The enemies you see today, you will not see tomorrow. Suddenly they're going to be gone, man. Yeah, so you you kind of get the idea is that that's how <clears throat> people are manipulated through the suddenly doctrine. The Bible don't teach the suddenly doctrine. The doctrine of suddenlies is not a biblical doctrine. It's an adverb used 38 times from the Old Testament to the New. First occurrence is in the book of Numbers. So... Though, if you've been taught the suddenly doctrine, you're thinking, oh, your breakthrough is just around the corner. Yeah, it's time to get to a real church because you are being manipulated very, very badly.
All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. When we come back, we're going to be hearing from T.D. Jakes on how to position yourself to prosper. Uh, Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Gibberish is not one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough! Of this sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater presents Church Day Select. And in other news, it seems that the inhabitants of Earth are not the only ones subject to economic slumps. Jensen Franklin, through direct revelation from God, has given us information that says that the unemployment rate within God's own army has drastically risen. Take a listen. Angel came and opened the doors and broke the chains. My point to you is simply this. When you don't pray, angels become unemployed. The greatest tragedy a prayerlessness is the unemployment of angels. Because when you pray, God gives angels their, their orders. When you pray, the spiritual battle in the heavenlies begins to be armed with the prayers of the saints and people binding. And whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. <laughs> Attention, angels. This is uh, the Holy Spirit. I have an announcement regarding the uh, latest downturn in the economy. And I understand that a lot of you have been unemployed lately due to a lack of prayer. And I I wish there was something that I could do about this. But, you know, I feel so powerless when it comes to these kind of things. Um, uh, We've uh, created a welfare uh, basket, uh, spiritual relief type of thing. And uh, so those of you who have uh, been hit hard by the latest downturn and are now finding yourselves unemployed, uh, please uh, proceed over to the uh, <clears throat> relief office and uh, we'll see what we can do to help you out. Thank you. All right. All right. Everyone just calm down. 
Thank you. Now, I know that none of you care to be here, but since we're experiencing a worldwide shortage of prayer, it would behoove you to keep calm and allow us to do our jobs. Gabriel, put your wings down. There's not nearly enough room for that. And Michael, Michael, don't cut in line. I know you're the big cheese around here, but all of us have been affected equally. Wait your turn. Next! What's your name? George. George? Whatever. Where'd you fly in from? South Orange County, California. California? That's frontline enemy territory. How many tours you done down in that kill box? About nine. Oh, you're quite the veteran. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's Rick Warren's territory, right? Yeah, he's got most of the people down there praying for purpose, better sex, other useless junk like that. Those idiots don't even realize they don't need God for such things. I hear you on that one. Now, I know it's not much, but this is what I can give you. It's our premium spiritual relief basket. Thank you. I'll be sure to put this to good use. (laughs) I know you will. Next! What's your name, bub? Harold. Okay. Harold, where are you hailing from? Charlotte, North Carolina. Good gravy. You must really be hurting. Everyone knows that Stephen Furtick's neck of the woods are just filled to bursting with heretical slop. Uh, What are they praying for nowadays? It's the strangest thing. They keep praying to the sun, telling it to stand still. I don't get it. Those morons! Don't they know nothing about astrophysics? If they were to stop the sun, they'd burn half the world to a crisp. Moon rocks have higher IQs than those dingbats. All right, got a relief basket for you. I greatly appreciate the help. (laughs) I know, you're welcome. Next! And your name is... Bob. Bob? I swear, angels these days. All right, Bob, lay it on me. Where you from? Vatican City. Vatican City? (laughs) Are those bozos still praying to dead people and inanimate objects? More than ever. You know, that really frosts my cookies. I mean, seriously. Take Mary, for example. That poor woman has been dead for millennia. She's not answering prayers. Who is the dumb schmuck that thought praying to her would do anything in the first place? Humans! They're so darn gullible sometimes. Anyway, here's your relief basket. Sorry. Just getting real tired of that. Happens every time I give someone a basket. Next! Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Hey, everyone. It's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's Coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society, and it's, it's coffee. 
There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical. Somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee, and it'll arrive at your door in a convenient, resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Yeah. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out! All right, we're back. Uh, warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think, well, suddenly, it could cause you to think that the doctrine of suddenlies isn't really a biblical doctrine, because it's not. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith 2 into the world, and you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you will see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. Rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster, $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. If you'd like to make a one-time contribution, click on the Donate button. If you'd like to become a patron on Patreon, click on the Become a Patron button. If you'd like to support us the traditional way, you can make your gift payable too. Fighting for the Faith, and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208, and let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Moving along. Don't want no loving, don't want no kissing, don't want no gal to call me honey, don't want my name in the Hall of Fame. Just want a big fat pile of money. Give me that almighty dollar for that lettuce. Hear me holler. Give me buckets full of ducats. Let me walk around and waller in Mazuma. El Dinero. Wanna be a millionaire? Give, Give me, me money, 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 money. I want that green ammunition. That's the stuff for which I'm wishing. Fill my closets with deposits. I'm a demon in addition. Give me shekels. Give me pesos. Let me see their smiling faces. Money, 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 money. Wanna get me a suit that's made out of loot? And whistle for wearing and green. I got that monetary itis like speeches like King Midas. Want that golden touch is what I mean. Give me that old double eagle. Want that tender that is legal and financially substantially. Any sum I can inveigle. Want a living regal splendor for that loving legal tender. Money, 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 money. All right, so uh, we are heading over to uh, the Potter's house uh, where T.D. Jake's holds court. And before we get into it, I think we should set this up by taking a look at Scripture 
first. And we're going to note that there is a prophecy given by the Apostle Paul regarding the times that we live in uh, right now, unfortunately. And, uh, and so here's what Paul says to young Pastor Timothy. Pastor Timothy was a fellow who pastored a you know congregation in the city of Ephesus. And so this is part of the corpus of the of the New Testament known as the Pauline, uh, actually the uh, pastoral epistles written by Paul. And so writing to young Pastor Timothy, he says this. Now, I, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching for the time is coming when people will not endure sound. And here's the uh, Greek word didaskalos. It can be translated doctrine or teaching. So people will not endure sound doctrine. Instead, having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. You want to be wealthy? You want to be rich? Oh, you want to you know, get on God's gravy train? Oh, yeah, there's preachers that will tell you that, yeah. So, uh, they, so they're having itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth, and they will wander off into myths. So, yeah. And so talk about mythological preaching. I can think of a more mythological preaching than what we're about to listen to from T.D. Jakes on how to position yourself to prosper. And we'll actually take a look at what the Bible teaches regarding what Christians should be giving uh, in their churches. And it's not a tithe. Yeah, I know. No, are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. In the New Covenant, there is no tithe. So we'll talk about that. But uh, here's T.D. Jakes to explain to us how we can position ourselves to prosper. Here we go. Touch your name and tell them something awesome is about to happen in my life. We're only five seconds into the sermon. Five seconds. Touch your neighbor. Tell him something awesome is about to happen in my life. What if it doesn't? You know, how can you be so sure that's going to happen, right? Makes you wonder if he's dobbing himself because he's so nervous because he knows he's totally going to be messing up God's word because he's greedy. It must be about to happen in my life. God must want to bring me into a place, an Eden-like environment of supernatural blessing where my latter days should be greater than my former days. What? See, now we've got to be, oh man, this is, talk about scratching itching ears, teaching mythology. This idea that God is going to bring you into an Eden-like place of supernatural blessings so that your latter days are better than your former days? Total mythology. Now, one of the things that televangelists like T.D. Jakes do, one of the things they do is they go into the Bible and they find the promises regarding the new earth after the eschaton, the which is the last day, Right. So in the promises of the new earth, you know, once the you know, once Jesus returns, the day of judgment is past, and those who have persisted in sin and unbelief are in the fires of hell and the lake of fire, and those who are you know righteous who believed in Christ and trusted in Him, they are with Him forever. Marriage feast of the Lamb, first blowout party, if you would, of 
the new creation occurs, you know, then there's these promises regarding the new earth. And what they do is they go into the Bible and find those promises and try to pull them into the present still while we're living under the curse that it does, it doesn't work, but he's not quite doing that. But this, so he's making a promise for God that God has not promised that, Oh, you can live presently in this world in an Eden like sense, churning of blessing and stuff. But you're going to see very quickly that in order for this to happen, this Eden-like constant blessing where your latter days are better than your former, it requires money. Yeah, you got to give a lot of money. Somebody say, Lord, help me not to curse myself. He showed an old couple. Yeah, do you think their latter days are going to be better than their former it's not going to happen to me either, but uh, yeah, this is nonsense. I'm going to be honest with you. Half of the messes that, more than half, of the messes that I got into in my life, I brought it on my full self with the dumb things and the dumb choices I made. You mean like sins? Notice he doesn't use that word. I'm not worried about the enemy out there. I'm worried about the enemy, enemy. If you can relate to that, say, hey, man. Yeah. Now we're going to go deeper. Can we go a little bit deeper? <laughs> yeah, um, you're not going to go deeper. And you haven't even broken the surface at all yet. Okay, this is good. This is good. This is good. This is good. See, tithing is not an emotional explosion where somebody preaches you into a fit. Did you notice he went to the pulpit like he was going to go deeper, like by opening up a biblical text? And then he pulled away from the Bible and started with the word tithing. Yeah, now this is going to take a little bit of work on our part. So if you want to follow along, I'll be showing you the biblical text on the screen. And the idea here is got to keep your covenants properly worked out. As Christians, we are in the new covenant, not the Mosaic covenant. And so as Christians, we do have commands from God as it pertains to giving to the church. But Paul is not going to invoke the Mosaic covenant requirement for tithing. Tithing was a tax that was exacted from the people of Israel for the maintenance of the tabernacle, which eventually became the temple. And so here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9. We're going to look at a large portion of 1 Corinthians 9, one verse in first in 2 Corinthians 9, and then you kind of see the whole picture. So here's what Paul is noting. And, and Paul was a fellow who paid for the privilege of preaching. He did not take salaries from the churches he planted and stuff. And this is what he's talking about. So he says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? And the answer is yes, he is an apostle. Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? And he has. And are not you my workmanship in the Lord? And they are. So if to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. So this is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and to drink? Well, yeah, sure you do. Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? So you note that other apostles, they were married. And Peter himself, this is an awkward fact for those in Roman Catholicism, the first pope, they claim that's what Peter was, was married. 
saying. Anyway, so or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? So who serves as a soldier at his own expense? No soldier does that. Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? No one plants a vineyard and does that. Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Nobody does that either. So do I say these things on human authority, Paul says? Does not the law say the same? And watch where he goes with this. So he's going to go into the Torah in order to pull out a verse that has to do with supporting those who preach the gospel, and it's not the command to tithe. Watch what he does. For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. It is, is it for oxen that God is concerned? And so here's the idea. The governing text as it relates to, well, giving within the church is you don't muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. Yeah, I I love the implications here. That means your pastor is a beast of burden. Mm -hmm. You got to feed your beast and you don't, you don't feed him extravagantly like guys like T.D. Jake. So tithing isn't the text that Paul goes to. We're not required to tithe as Christians. So does he not speak certainly for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in the hope and the thresher should thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more. But nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. So do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And this is most certainly true. And you're going to know, again, he's not invoking the tithe. He's invoking the fact that the Levitical priesthood, that they they got their food from their temple work. And so those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. They do. So in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So if you attend a church, and you should if you don't, and you're going to sit there and go, okay, Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 9.14 that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Flat out, it is God's will that your pastor be clothed and fed be able to have a house, you know, a roof over him, his himself, and that and that his kids be able to make enough. You know, he make enough money that his kids have food and clothing. Same with his wife, which means you're going to have to be able to pay him enough that you know he can like put his kids through college or school or things like this. But nowhere should you expect your pastor to be driving a Bentley or flying around in a private jet. So the idea here is it's God's will then that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living from the gospel. And the governing text is you don't muzzle the ox while he's treading out the grain. That's your governing text. Now, this is another text kind of in that same vein. Since Christians are not under the Mosaic covenant and are not required to tithe, how much then am I required to give? 2 Corinthians 9, 7 makes this very clear. Each one must give as he has decided In his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So if you can afford 10% and you want to give 10%, you're free to give 10%. If you 
have a lot of bills. You have a lot of debt. And your kids, you, you, you're you trying to put them through private school. And so you can only give just a little bit every Sunday. That's perfectly fine. That's okay, too. You, you, the idea here is, is that collectively as a congregation, God wills that your pastor make a living from preaching the gospel. So collectively, is each is able to, and has decided in their heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, you give. God loves a cheerful giver. The tithe is a mosaic covenant artifact, not a new covenant command. So here T.D. Jakes is, uh, he's engaging in chicanery. Of course, he's a very greedy, very, very greedy, 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 wealthy man. And so he's putting the thumb screws on his, uh, on his congregation there and creating the expectation that if you tithe, you are positioning yourself so that you can experience an Eden-like place of God's abundant and abundance and blessing. Mm-mm. No tax teaches that. And you forget about everything and run up there and dump out your pocketbook. You might do that for a minute, but you're not going to do that every week. Tithing is a system of circulation. Seed to the sore. No text says that tithing is a system of circulation. This is a mythological doctrine, one that he's all too happy to teach. He gives seed to the sore. He gives seed to the sore. It's reciprocity. It's God playing catch ball with you. You toss it to him. He tosses it back to you. It's just that the ball he tosses back is always bigger than the ball you toss... No text teaches that either. Especially regarding Christians in the New Covenant. I'm trying to bring you into a cycle and a system of supernatural blessing instead of... Oh, a system and a cycle of supernatural blessing. Mm -hmm. And all you got to do is write a check. This doesn't take faith. Any old person can write a check. Now, a little bit of a note here. Immediately, you should be wondering... Well, if in order to get this supernatural blessing of abundance and stuff, and I, that in order to do that, I have to tithe, how is it that guys that are rank pagans and unbelievers are so wealthy and rich? Let me, let me give you an example. Tiger Woods, great golfer. He, you know, he's going to be in the golfing hall of fame and, and, you know, everybody loves the fact that he's been making a comeback and, and everyone's talking about Tiger Woods. This is a guy who has been wealthy beyond belief for decades now, right? He jets around the world in his own private jet that he rightfully can afford from the winnings that he's earned on the PGA Tour. And he's a Buddhist. How much do you think Tiger Woods tithes to Christian churches? Nothing. He's never tithed in his life. So how is it that he's experienced such Eden-like abundant blessings? You see, it, it's, it starts to break down when you um, start to push on it. See, T.D. Jakes is teaching that in order for you to have this, you've got to tithe. Hmm. Yeah, I can show you example after example after example of men who are very wealthy never tithe favor for in January and losing it until August. I'm trying to bring you into a cycle of blessing where God sustains you. He's trying to bring you into a cycle where God sustains you. All you got to do is tithe. 
It's, he's just he's looking out for you, man. He's got your best. He's got your back. No, he doesn't. He's got his hand in your wallet right now. Slap that thing and get it out of there. Because you are faithful even as he is faithful. Why do you take time to teach on this? Because a lot of you have been taught. A lot of you haven't been taught. Some of you haven't been taught right at all. Most preachers, when they teach about tithing, they fuss. I hate that. Yeah, they fuss. I just hate that. Because he's going to tell you the truth. I'm not an idiot. Don't yell at me. Don't fuss at me. Explain it to me. Make it make sense to me. Teach me. Yeah, could, could you do that? Could you show me from the scriptures where we Christians under the new covenant are required to tithe? And that by doing so, we'll get an Eden-like system of blessing because of reciprocity and stuff. Could you show me that from the Bible? I bet you can't. Teach me, and then I'll make a decision. Don't be, y'all ain't coming up in here. Hey. Then a lot of you come from churches, tithing, you, you pay dues. What? How many folks know what about church dues? What? You got the little box with the cards in it when you join the church. <laughs> Dues are not in here. Yeah, neither is tithing in the new covenant. You won't find it in the new covenant. Tabs are all over the book. No, actually they're not. They're not part of the new covenant. I want to get into some stuff. Is this good? There are two scriptures I want you to compare. Genesis 3, 1 through 7. I want you to get that. Okay, Genesis 3, 1 through 7. Let's take a look over here. Genesis 3, 1 through 7. What does this have to do with tithing? The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? <laughs> this isn't a tithing text. Hmm, wonder why he's going here. I detect a Bible twist in the horizon. It's coming our way. Run for the hills. All right, let's keep going. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah, notice he's taking his time here. He's got to think this through. How do I twist these texts again? To teach on tithing? Because he's going deeper, you know. Genesis 3, 1 through 7, and 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. Right. 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. All right, let's take a look here. So do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of Father is not in him. All that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, the pride of life, it's not from the Father, it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Not a tithing text either. Hmm, what is he up to? It looks like he's up to no good. Genesis Three, mm -hmm. one through seven. Right. 
First John chapter two fifteen through. Got to consult his notes here. This is going to be, you know, unlike the Bible twisting difficulty scale, this one's way up there. He sticks the landing. We're talking like hundreds of points here. I mean, the judges will award him great style points too because he's a great. He's uh, his style and delivery, artistic interpretation is always so amazing. But this is this is a difficult set of text to twist up. And make them about tithing. I don't know which one to give you first. Let's do First John chapter two, verse fifteen through seventeen. Yeah, you do that. Okay, and I'm going to be going back and forth between these two for a minute. Okay. Okay. First John two fifteen through seventeen. When you have it, say Amen. If you're still looking for it, say Wait a minute. Okay. Get on with it already. You got it. Good. Okay. Okay. First. Yeah. Again, it's like an athlete, you know, getting ready to, you know, and the high diving platform, you know, you know, you got to think through, you got to rehearse it in your mind and stuff. Here we go. Difficulty hundred on this one here. On chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. Yeah. Here it says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Yeah. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Okay. That's clear. Yeah. But what is the world? Because when I got into holiness church, everything was worldly. Right. Makeup was worldly. Eyeshadow was worldly. Plucking your eyebrows was worldly. How about greedily twisting God's word in order to make a buck? How's that for worldly? Yet notice it. You can't be worldly, but man, this guy is. Watching TV was worldly. How much do you think that suit cost? He always has a new one every week, too. Everything was worldly. Yeah. We went to the beach with a suit on. Because we wanted to be a witness and be different from the world. And we were different from the world. We was hot. Gotta admit, his delivery is amazing. I mean, as far as communicators go, he's the best. As far as faithful exegete, he's the worst. He's not even that. We lifted up a standard. But if you talk to worldly people, they're not impressed by that. They just think you're weird. They don't, they don't think you're spiritual and holy. They just think your face is ugly and funny looking and you need to get your hair done and brushing your teeth. I mean, I've been to churches that didn't believe in wearing deodorant. I'm serious. It, it can really get crazy. You can go down that road so far. One church didn't believe in cologne. The other church didn't believe in deodorant. And boy, when they got to shouting, it... You get slain, it wasn't by the Spirit. You'd just be... Again, my question is, what do these texts and what you just read in First John 2, what does that have to do with tithing? (laughs) 
mothers were testifying about getting delivered from chewing, chewing gum. Everything was worldly. But the Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, check this out, because now he defines what is in the world, what he is really talking about. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. It's not of the Father, but it's of the world. Those three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. I'm still showing you the difference between lusters and lovers. Mm, Yeah, lusters hang on to their money. Lovers give 10% to T.D. Jakes, who is a luster of money. Just saying. Okay. Now, in in Genesis, just put your finger on that and just go back for a minute to Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. Which, again, has nothing to do with tithing. Now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. We can have whatever we want. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Let's go back again. Since we are not living off of trees, let's go back again. Just put, Now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God so we're not living off of trees what does this have to do with tithing and he said unto the woman yea have God said ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden Hath God not said that you can have whatever you want and the woman said unto the servant we may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden we can we can live wherever we want to live we can drive whatever we want to drive we can wear whatever we want to wear we can get whatever watch we want to watch we can get whatever we want to this is called eisegesis, by the way. He's just read a whole bunch of stuff into the text that ain't there. Like, not even close. Yeah, so ice, the, the, the Greek preposition into, and then Jesus to read into. So, so eisegesis is reading into the biblical text. So, so, why does it talk about those watches and stuff in, uh, <laughs> in Genesis 3? Yeah, this guy's so good at, like, just snowing everybody. We can do anything we want, except mm-hmm. since we don't have no tree of the knowledge of good of evil, except God said the tithes. What? Hey, got do a little fact checking here. Got to go back to that text in Genesis. Um, see if it says anything about the tithe. So the serpent said to the woman, uh, okay, let's see. God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. The serpent said, you will not surely die, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman saw the tree was good for food. It was a delight for the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. And she took of its fruit, and she ate. I, I don't see anything in there about the tithe. And, and yet, I'm going to just back this up just a smidge. Let's listen again as some weird words are now showing up in Genesis 3. Really strange words that are not there. 
Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Hath God not said that you can have whatever you want? And the woman said unto the servant, we may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden. We can, we can live wherever we want to live. We can drive whatever we want to drive. We can wear whatever we want to wear. We can get whatever watch we want to watch. We can get whatever we want to do. We can do anything we want except since we don't have no tree of the knowledge of good of evil, except God said the tithes, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the servant said, oh, shucks, you ain't going, that ain't going to hurt nothing. You don't have to tithe, the serpent said. He's like rewriting Genesis 3 on the fly. Like I told you, this was, on difficulty scale, like a hundred plus, man, and oh, he's pulling it off. Didn't know, didn't know how he was going to do it, but man, Jesus is a good go-to. Just add stuff to the biblical text and rewrite it, you know. Yeah, and 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 then you can make it appear like this is in the Bible. <laughs> Unbelievable. Go ahead. God didn't mean the day you eat. You got to use common sense. Then your eyes shall be open and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. It's going to make you better. Go ahead, take them times and get you through. And- <laughs> so just add this part to the devil's monologue, you know. Just forget those ties to get you through. Uh, yeah, by the way, the devil, it, when he lies, according to Jesus, he's speaking his own native language. You'll notice that T.D. Jakes is lying here. I hear the voice of the serpent coming out of him. Mm-hmm. Woman saw, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food yeah. and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of it the fruit thereof and did eat and gave it unto her husband and, with her and he did eat. Yeah. And the eyes of them both were open and they were naked and they sowed fig leaves and they soon got put out of the garden. Now, wait a minute. When the woman, let's look at verse six. When the woman saw that the. (laughs) Yeah, let's look at that verse six because, you know, the tithing thing, it's right there in Genesis three, six. He was good for food. Food, good for food, the lust of the flesh. And that it was pleasant to the eyes. Oh, you're with me. No, I'm not. Not even close. I have no clue what you're doing except for your eisegeting. And the point you're making, the Bible don't make. The lust of the eye. And a tree to be desired to make one wise. The pride of life. He's just doing the mic drop thing. Boom. Oh, see what I just proved right there. This is nonsense. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. The Bible says she ate it. Those are the only three reasons that will make you eat your tithe. Wow, that was amazing. 
amazingly awful. I mean, total manipulation of scripture and the people there at the potter's house. But that's the whole point. Yeah, see, yeah, it's you don't want to eat your tithe, man. You know, lust of the flesh and stuff, and you got to give it to T.D. Jakes. They'll they'll bring a wheelbarrow out and you can throw it in there. Yeah, come up and show God that you're not going to eat your tithe. You're going to be obedient, and now you expect God to be a reciprocity to make you prosper. You got to position yourself for prosperity and stuff. I think you get the point. Nothing good is coming out of that. I mean, that is an extraordinary example of mangling God's word, teaching for shameful gain things that ought not to be taught, and making void the word of God. Oh, and scratching, itching ears, telling people what they want to hear, and it's all mythology. Genesis 3 don't teach that. 1 John 2 don't teach this. And like I said, I just showed you from 1 Corinthians 9, we're not under the Mosaic command to to tithe. God loves a cheerful giver. You don't give under compulsion. Set aside what you've decided to give God in your heart, and that's sufficient. End of story. But not for T.D. Jakes, no. No, 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 no. So I think you get the point. So if you attend a church where your pastor is putting the thumb screws down and you're mangling up God's word this way to make it look like you as a new covenant Christian are required to tithe, then you know that you're being deceived and manipulated and that, well, God doesn't require these things of us. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook facebook.com forward slash pirate christian follow me on twitter my name there at pirate christian quick break when we come back heading down to planet shakers yeah it's just gonna be a mess stay tuned don't want to miss it we'll be right back no visions are cast here you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. High Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... <laughs> You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Listening to this program right now. Have you ever found yourself wishing there was more Fighting for the Faith content that you could listen to and share with your friends? Well, you're in luck, because we now at Pirate Christian Media have a YouTube channel that we upload content to on a weekly basis. We got programs like Twist Busters, You Don't Have to Be a Cessationist, Messed Up Church, Exclusive Skype Interviews, Pirate Gang Conversations, and our most popular segment, Dumpster Fire. So if you're looking for some extra pirate Christian media goodness in your life, head on over to YouTube and search for Fighting for the Faith and subscribe. And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? 
Jesus died to make us rich. <laughs> and what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, uh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. <laughs> to err is to heretic. To R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. All right, we're back. Our number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. So is Christianity all about learning how to apply certain things to your life so that you can succeed? Is that really what it's all about? The answer, by the way, is no. But Russell Evans is going to try to convince us that it's yes. But uh, let's do this right. Hey, ho. The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Planet Shakers down in Australia. Russell Evans presiding. He's the vision casting leader there. And the name of the sermon is Plan to Succeed. Plan to Succeed. I think we can definitively say without even listening to the sermon, this will end up in the bin known as scratching, itching ears and telling people what they want to hear rather than telling them what God's Word says. Yeah, very tragic. And along the way, we're going to hear two highly manipulated texts, regularly manipulated texts, one from the Proverbs, one from the book of Habakkuk, and uh, we will unpack that shortly. So let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here's Russell Evans and Plan to Succeed. Here we go. This morning, on the topic, Plan to Succeed. Three of you like that. Plan to Succeed. 2019, you need to plan to succeed. Success just does not fall out of the sky. It comes by a plan. Right, yeah. Because Jesus wants you to be successful, man. It's all about you succeeding. Yeah, no, not really. Now, a little bit of a note here. Jesus himself made it very clear in the book of Luke, Luke's version of the Great Commission, that, uh, the, that the, the church is to go out and make disciples. And there's a particular part that, you know, there's a particular message that we're to be preaching and teaching, something to that effect. And Jesus says, <clears throat> here's what it says, uh, Luke 24, um, 
I'll start at verse 45 for the context. So Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ, the Messiah, should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that, listen to this, repentance, repentance into or for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Yeah, Christianity is not a fertility religion. And what I mean by that is the the old idolatrous systems. You know, you think of the worship of Baal and Asherah and the other false gods, even Molech of the ancient world that Israel was ensnared by. One of the things they had in common is they would fit into the broader category known as fertility religions. Is Christianity a fertility religion where you're going to learn from Jesus? You know, uh, how to earn his favor by doing the right thing, saying the right things, and then he's going to fill your bank account with money. He's going to cause your children to obey perfectly, and they'll go to Ivy League schools on scholarship. You know, is, is that is that what's going to happen? Yeah, that's not what Christianity is about at all. But uh, Russell Evans, with this, uh, with what he's going to be doing here. You know, it it's not, it's not even dangerously close to being fertility religion. Like it's like straight up, you know, fertility religion. That's what we're listening to here. Habakkuk two. By the way, we're planning to succeed. So in on February the third, we're starting twenty one days of prayer and fasting. Why? Because we're planning to succeed. We're going to pray the things that we're believing for through prayer and fasting. We'll be introducing our Wednesday early morning prayer meeting very soon. Why? Because we're planning to succeed. We, we will have outreaches and, and Planet Uni O-Weeks and stuff. Why? Because we're planning to succeed. Habakkuk 2 says in verse 2, Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision. Each one of you need to get a vision for this year. Now, notice what he did there. I mean, this is just a classic quintessential example of like ignoring the context, ripping a verse out of its context in order to make it look like it's teaching something that it doesn't teach at all. Yeah, that. so Habakkuk 2, if you read the uh, book of Habakkuk, uh, the prophet himself is, uh, is lamenting uh, that it just seems like the uh, the wicked are succeeding and 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 when is the lord going to do something to stop this and and so that's really kind of the heart of what's going on in chapter 1 of habakkuk and and so there's a little bit of a of a back and forth between uh the prophet and the lord in fact let me read out part of that so that you can see how what's going on the oracle that habakkuk the prophet saw O Yahweh, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? I or cry to you violence and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous so justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see and wonder and be astounded, for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. So by the way, verse 5 then is God's response. So this is a back and forth between the prophet Habakkuk and and God. And so you'll note that he's lamenting that the evil are prospering. Uh, and <clears throat> so let me, let me read out now 
you know, kind of the thing that uh, Habakkuk was asking God or telling God before we get to chapter two. Um, so Habakkuk says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You've ordained them as, as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked uh, swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make man uh, kind like the fish of the sea, like the crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. And so, you, you again, you can see what's uh, what's going on here, how he's, again, lamenting and, and basically saying, how long, Lord, before you do something about this wicked situation? So he brings all of them up, up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever. So there's your, there's your context. And then chapter 2, and then Habakkuk says, I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower, look out and see what he will say to me and what I will, an- and, and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So he's complaining to the Lord. You know, this is a, a legitimate complaint. So then the Lord answered me. And so note, Russell Evans read out at least the part in verse two where it says, and then the Lord answered me. And immediately everyone should have been asking the question, answered you for what, Habakkuk? You, you, what, you know, what's, what's the thing before this? What was the question? Yeah, but they, they don't do that. They just listen to this fellow because he's a vision casting leader. You know, he's the, he's the leader of the Planet Shakers movement. And so, yeah, I mean, he's got to be on the level, right? No, no, not at all. So that, so Habakkuk 2. So then the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run, like flee, who reads it. Yeah, so it, it, keep that in mind. The context here is, is that whoever sees this vision written down will go, oh my goodness, I got to get out of here quick because God's going to judge this place. So, so write it on tablets, make it plain so that he who reads it may run. Uh, for still the vision awaits its appointed time and hastens to the end, and it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It'll surely come. It will not delay. Uh-huh. So God here is speaking about the judgment that he's going to exact on Israel for their idolatry, their wickedness, for their perversity, for their mistreatment of the just and the righteous and the poor. Yeah, and you know, And so you get the idea, but... Uh, over and again, guys like Russell Evans, they try to make us think that, well, this is an instruction for us that we need to get a vision and then we need to write it down. That's not what this is saying at all. So let me back this up just a little bit. Here we go again. Habakkuk 2 says in verse 2, then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision. Each one of you need to get a vision for this year and make it. Yeah, that's not what Habakkuk 2 is about. Make it plain. Make it plain. That he may run who reads it. In other words, your vision is so understandable that people hear it will run with it. No, that's not what that means at all. The Hebrew there for run means like flee, run away. Proverbs twenty nine eighteen from the New, uh, New International Version says, Where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint, but blessed 
is the one who hears wisdom and instruction. So revelation. I don't know what translation he was reading from. I didn't pay attention. Proverbs twenty nine eighteen. Hey Amen. If I had a, uh, if I had five bucks for every time I heard somebody twisting this text. Yeah, then I would have a vision for a well padded bank account. Um, at Proverbs twenty nine eighteen. You know, again, good translation, ESV. It's a fantastic translation. It's not the only good translation out there, uh, but I do teach from it. Uh, and here's what it says, Proverbs 29:18: Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law or the Torah. So the prophetic vision that we are to have that will keep us from casting off restraint is the written word of God. That's what Proverbs 29, 18 is saying. But Russell Evans thinks that, no, 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 this is about you. you. This is a command that you need to get a vision from God for how to have a good year in 2019. That's not what this is about. Revelation is vision. It's what God gives you for your life. So if you come into 2019 and have no vision for this year or revelation for this year, guess what will happen? Anything can happen. Yeah, that's not what Proverbs twenty nine eighteen is about. And guess what will happen? Generally, what happened the year before that you had no vision? Oh, no. You know, Jesus, for three and a half years, was teaching. He was preparing his disciples for success. Uh, wh- what? For three and a half years, he was telling them what the kingdom of God was like. He took, he sent them out two by two. Why? To experience what he wanted them to do on earth when he left. For two and a half years, three and a half years, Jesus was getting them ready to walk in the vision of the kingdom. He was preparing them to bring heaven to earth when he left. No, yeah, see that that's wrong too. That, that sounds like Bill Johnson kind of theology. Yeah, the the disciples were not taught how to bring heaven to earth. Yeah, that's 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 false. And Jesus is our model of vision. What? And so I want to talk to you really briefly today on what it means to plan for success. Number one, renew your vision or get a vision. So you got to renew one or you need to get one. No text actually says this. And the two texts he's ripped out of context, they don't teach that either. You know, our vision at Planet Shakers has never changed. Empowering generations to win generations. Our whole plan and our whole prayer and our whole desire is that you encounter Jesus. And out of that encounter, you get empowered and then you change your world. What happens is God... You get empowered and then you change your world. What does that mean? God adds layers on it and just broadens it and strengthens it, but he never really changes the vision you have for your life. He just builds on what he sowed in your life. Which biblical text says that, Russell? Because Habakkuk 2 and Jeremiah 29 don't say that. An apple tree does not become an orange. Why? Because the seed that was sown is the vision for what that tree will become. A seed is not a vision. And God wants you to understand he has a vision for your life. He has a plan for your life. And he wants you to understand today that that plan comes through knowing him and revelation from him. So in 2019, my question is, do you have a family vision? 
what? Again, the Bible doesn't teach this. So you'll note he's totally off the rails. He's asking questions and coming up with applications that have nothing whatsoever to do with anything the Bible really says and really means. Do you have a vision for your family this year? I have two children and I have a vision for them. My, my, my daughter probably has a faster vision than I have. She might want to get married quicker than I want her to. Vision for your life. Do you plan for your children? Do you, do you pray for God to bless them? Do you pray for God to give you revelation for their life this year? Do you have a plan for your wife? Do you have a plan for your husband? Yeah, the wives go, I have a plan for my husband. And the men says, and I have a plan for you. A plan for my wife. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been a Christian my entire life, and uh, I don't recall anyone ever saying that I need to come up with a vision and a plan for my wife. Like she would accept it anyway. But wow. And God says, I have one for both of you. Come into agreement and I'll bless you. No, God doesn't say that. Do you have a vision for your finances? Do you have a vision? Do you plan? You know, every year I ask the Lord, God, what do you want me to give for your kingdom this year? In tithing and, and offerings. What do you want me to give? I just don't go, well, uh, 10% of my wages, that's what I'm... No, no, I ask the Lord what I am to give. Why? Because I'm getting revelation for the vision he wants to release through my life. You, you pay for that revelation? That's what it sounds like to me. It sounds like you're paying for that revelation. Get a vision for your finances. Where do you want to see? Plan for your finances. Get a vision for your health. Get a spiritual vision. Most important, get a spiritual vision. See, if you have a spiritual vision, you... I did not know there were all these different types of visions. Because the Bible nowhere teaches it. Totally man-made doctrines here. You understand what is connected to that vision to see that come to pass. In other words, the Bible says, those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish. So if you have a vision to be planted, guess what happens? You will flourish. It doesn't say, I need to have a vision to be planted in order to flourish. You, you just added that to the text. This guy has no exegetical discipline whatsoever. It's a spiritual vision. Same with your health. I have a vision to lose weight. I've lost 11 kilos so far, and I'm halfway there. Why? Because I want my health to be better. Get a vision for it. I'm wearing clothes that I've never worn for many years. I bought these a year ago and I tried them on. I don't usually try clothes on at the shop because I don't want to be disappointed. I take it by faith. Then I come home and put it on and go, no, nah, that doesn't work. That goes in the, the one, one day very soon draw. But I'm wearing them. Why? Because at, in January, see, Vision, my cousin, who it was a little big like me, I saw a picture of him, and he had lost 20 kilos. And I'm like, he looks awesome. And he's older than me. That's, that's worse. <laughs> so as I saw a vision of what I could be, it motivated me to be somebody that I could be in my health. Hmm. 
Yeah, we're learning a lot about Russell here. Nothing about Jesus, like zero about Jesus. And this is not a biblical doctrine at all. Get a vision. So I was at a wedding last night and all this great food was coming out and bread rolls were coming out and all this, you know, there was ice cream coming out. And because I got a vision, because I had a vision, I said no. No one had compassion around. They were like, eh, Jimmy was there in front of me. He, I, I actually went, all the chips went on the table, right? There's these amazing chips. They look fantastic. And, 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 you know, there were people hungry, so they ate them before Jimmy could. He was waiting for his special meal because he can't eat nuts because if he eats nuts, he goes nuts. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so he's there and he had no chips. I said, Jimmy, I'll go help you. So I went up to the bridal table and I said, do you need these chips anymore? You all look skinny anyway. And uh, so I came and gave them to any eight. But they were eating before me. What, what restrained me was my vision. Oh, I'm so glad you your vision restrained you. Yeah, it's this, you're, you're really inspiring these people to be real disciples of Jesus with all this nonsense. <clears throat> my vision got me to say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. Now, you never know how that vision is at the end of next year. So firstly, the the thing with your vision is create. Creativity comes through vision. I've got all these C words to be connected to these points. Create. Come before God and he gives you creative ideas, creative concepts, creative dreams. That's what God wants to do. Second thing... This makes no sense. This is utter word salad here. ...you need to do when you plan to succeed is write it down. Write down what you want to do in your year this year. What do you want to achieve? What do you want to see God do? And even put numbers to it. You say, numbers? Is God into numbers? Yes, he wrote a book called Numbers. Because <laughs> numbers is people. So put some numbers to it. So I'm believing for this to come in my finances this year. I'm believing for this amount of children. Some of you are going, huh? I'm believing for. Now that notice that um, the word that follows believing is different. Christians are believers. They believe in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Notice that um, the Planet Shaker people, they believe for things. I don't even know if they believe in Jesus, but they believe four things. I'm going to believe for a 32-inch waistline. I'm going to believe for uh, 2.7 children and things like that, because that's a number, you know. Yeah, big difference in believing in Jesus and believing his promises for the forgiveness of our sins, his promises for a reconciled relationship to God the Father, Uh uh-huh, by what he did for us on the cross. Well, some of you might have quads or triplets or twins. Get a vision. Don't let disappointment get in your vision. So write it down. So disappointment can get in your vision. You want to keep that disappointment out of your vision, apparently, yeah. So in other words, make it clear. You have no clear vision, you have no clear direction. Third thing, get rid of the weight that slows you down in your vision. 
Hebrews 12 verse 1 to 3 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us... Yeah, Hebrews 12 isn't talking about getting a vision for your life. That's not what it's about at all. Let's run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, a champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy waiting for him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. What, what kept Jesus at the cross? What took him to the cross was a vision for you and for me. The joy of us coming into relationship with him and his father was the vision that kept him going to the cross. It says this, now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. So at the beginning of this year, at at the beginning of this year, throw off weights. In other words, change. Change your thinking, change. Yeah, yeah. in other words, just change and stuff. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, he's not actually teaching any real biblical doctrine here. You're living. Change. What type of weights are you talking about? There might be toxic relationships that you're in and, and the people are pulling you down. And, and, and this isn't a permission to get divorced. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about outside relationships that are pulling you down. And they're toxic and, and they're not good for you. Well, take them off. If it's not good for you, don't let guilt keep you in a relationship that abuses you. <laughs> Get rid of that weight. You can forgive them and love them, but that doesn't mean you, you can be weighed down by them. Get rid of that weight. Whoa. Some of us have get so dragged down by relationships that we want to do something, but we can never do it because we're held back. You're really quiet here today. Unforgiveness weights. Yeah, maybe the reason why they're quiet is because you're not really making much lucid sense at all. Yeah, just saying. Unforgiveness weights. Get rid of unforgiveness weights. There's nothing worse than living in unforgiveness. Bitterness is a weight. God can help us with our bitterness. We are really quiet this morning. Yeah, because you really don't make any sense. Come into the new year with no weights of bitterness. Oh, yeah, but you don't know what he did to me, and you don't know what she did to me, and you don't know what they did to me, and you don't know what that is. You, you know, we live in a world that's got a disease that's called blamatitis. It blames everyone else. But the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. So we have no excuse to live in in, in limitation. Why? Because he's done it for you. We've just got to receive it and let go of that stuff. And that doesn't mean it's not easy. It's easy to do. I've I've been hurt by people. People have let me down. They continue to let me down. People, people are people. I probably let them down too. I need to forgive myself, and I also need to forgive people. Let go of that weight of bitterness. If you're going to plan to succeed, you can't run with bitterness because bitterness stops you from hearing. 
right. Yeah, you can't plan to succeed, you know, with bitterness because bitterness keeps you from hearing. Hearing what? Which text says that again? Forgiveness stops you from receiving, but if you get rid of it, the pathway is amazing. Selfish weights. Get rid of selfish weights. Just get get rid of those selfish weights. You know, sometimes things that we desire that are selfish actually weigh us down. The next thing, number four. We're going okay here. Remove the things that are obstructing your vision. So, by the way, the the C for uh, there was change. Remove the things that are obstructing your vision. This, the C word here is clean. Clean, clean your vision. You know, I wear glasses from time to time and and, uh, I wear sunglasses as well. And there's nothing worse. And and my iPhone sometimes, because my head is um, just very clean. And, um, and, And so there'll be times that my glasses are... Uh, have not been cleaned, so I can't see properly. Clean your vision up. Get the stuff out of your vision that is getting your attention. Get the stuff out of your vision that is obstructing the way way to go. God wants to show you the way to go, and He wants to give you clean eyes. How do you have clean eyes? You have a clean heart. The Bible says, "The clean, the pure in heart shall see God." So our cleanly heart given by Jesus, our clean heart given by Jesus, enables us to have clear vision. (laughs) 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 You ever um, run uh, an automobile without any oil in the car, and, and you start to smell something burning. I, I think that's what's happening in my brain right now. It, it, it This is just... Yeah. yeah. That's why David, when he messed up, prayed this prayer. Creating me a clean heart, old God. Yeah, it was more than a mess up. Yeah, it wasn't a slipsy or an oopsie. He committed adulter- adultery, knocked up the woman who was married, murdered her husband. I mean... This was, he didn't just mess up. And renew a right spirit within me. So every time you mess up, every time you do the wrong thing, instead of letting that muck get in your heart, come to God and say, Oh God, create in me a clean heart. I give this to you. Let the Spirit of God come and cleanse my vision. Let the Spirit of God... Yeah, you need to actually be forgiven of your sins. Have you ever heard of an absolution? God, come and cleanse my heart. Let the Spirit of God come and clean me on the inside out. Get rid of the things. You know, sometimes... (laughs) Sometimes I'm believing for something and it doesn't happen. So you know what happens? Can't imagine why. A little bit of disappointment comes into my vision. Sometimes I ask God to do something and he didn't do it the way I wanted to and guess what? Another bit of thing gets in my vision. And then over a period of time, 
I get I, I'm unaware that over a year, if I don't constantly say, God, clean my heart, clean my heart, give me right motives, give me right attitudes, let me have the mind of Christ, give me the right thing, my vision becomes blurred and dull. And so many people don't succeed because they allow little dots, a little bit of mud, a little bit of dirt, a little bit of uh, disappointment, a little bit of discouragement, a little yeah, again, I have to ask, is uh, Christianity and the purpose of Christian sanctification all about being successful? Nope. A little bit of pain, a little bit of hurt, a little bit of uh, unbelief and doubt. Get in your vision, and what happens is you stop running like you used to. Plan to succeed in 2019. So Yay. clean. There, there are those are half-hearted clapping. Yeah, I mean, even his bullpen is going. Uh, uh what, 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 what's he saying again? I, <laughs> I don't get it. Clean number five. I'm giving you a lot of points. I've become like a teacher. I got more points than a porcupine. It's a very poor joke, but some nice people laughed at it. Um, thank you. Thank you for laughing at that dad joke. It's an amazing joke. Number five, plan for times of strengthening, healing, and refreshing. In your year, plan times for strengthening, for healing, and refreshing. I, I got a plan for that. Okay. You see, why do Planet Shakers, why do we put on conferences? So we to make money. We can get big crowds and go, yay, what's up? No. What are they? They are places to celebrate. There's the C word. To celebrate. So get in places where you get strengthened and healed and refreshed. To celebrate. Another C word is conference. In other words, plan to put your personhood in a place that you know a breakthrough is coming, refresh. What? Put my personhood in a place where I plan where breakthrough is coming. <laughs> Blue sleeps faster than Tuesday. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, this doesn't make no sense. Refreshing's coming, healing's coming. You see, if you don't plan to succeed, you won't succeed. So why we put conference of beautiful woman's coming up this year? It's changed, isn't it? To beautiful. Beautiful's coming up this year. Planet Shakers Conference in April. You know, if I was just, if I wasn't the pastor of this church, I would still be in every session. Why? Because I know what happens in those sessions. I'm getting my plate, my, my life ready to be blessed, to be encouraged. You're getting your life ready to be blessed. Huh? How, how does one go about doing that? To, to be filled. You see, over a four-day period, what happens is meeting builds on meeting upon meeting upon meeting upon meeting upon meeting upon meeting. It's a planning to, to celebrate, to be refreshed, to be strengthened, to be renewed, to be comforted, to, to go to a whole nother level. And if you don't plan for it, you won't live for it. Oh, okay. And Jesus wants me to do that? He wants me to plan for it so that I can live for it? D do you have a text that shows that this is what Jesus wants me to do? 
Plan those things in your life. Plan to succeed. That's why in your Sunday calendar, there also always should be a plan. The house of God. Yeah, if I were looking for the house of God, Planet Shakers would be the last place I would ever look. Pretty sure it's not there. Statistics now say the average person comes to church once every three weeks. Our statistics are a little better than that. But the truth is, if everybody turned up to church every week and bought everybody they knew, we would win a city. We would see a city transformed and nations transformed. Plan to succeed. Plan. When you get up in the morning, look for people to witness to. Plan to succeed. You see, when you plan for times of strengthening, healing and refreshing, which I call plans of cele- places of celebration, God moves in a way like you can't just have in a moment. <laughs> Do you just like riff off the top of your head? I'm curious. <laughs> I, I want to hear that statement again because that was weird. Hang on. Which I call plans of cele- places of celebration. Right. God moves in a way like you can't just have in a moment. Right. Yeah. God moves in a way that you just can't have in a moment. Yep. No idea what that means either. Because what happens is a moment is powerful, but moments are more powerful. <laughs> yeah. Number six. You ready for number six? <laughs> Trust me, I'm not taking notes. I won't be applying any of this because none of it's in the Bible. You're getting this down ready? Number one, remember was. Can anyone remember? Because I can't. Um, renew or get a vision for 2019, which the C word for that is what? It's what? Create. Second one, what is it? Write it down. What is it? the C word for that? Third one? Get rid of the weights that slow you down. That's called... Change. (laughs) Number four. Remove the things obstructing your vision. That's called clean. Number five. That's called touch your neighbor and say, it's time to celebrate. Turn your other neighbor and say, have you registered for conference yet? Yeah. I get the feeling that uh, money is a big thing there at Planet Shakers. (laughs) (laughs) Number six. Get with people who will challenge you and encourage your vision. Don't just have friends that go, oh, you're amazing, but never challenge you. No, you don't want that. What's that called? Coach. You need a coach. We have the coaches, they're called Urban Life Coaches. You need people around that will challenge you and encourage you to keep going in the vision you've got for the year. You need people to say, come on, ah, no, you need to fix that up a little bit. It's a little wonky. You need to make that a little stronger. And and, and so they they coach you, they help you. You know, one of the greatest coaches I know is my wife. She coaches me all the time. 
No, but she's amazing. I see her sit down and, and, and with people and, and she says, you know, you need to do this. It must be the teacher in her. And, and, and I'm like, I don't tell anyone to do anything. I just say, follow me. But she's like, she will, she'll coach them and make them better. You know, in this amazing uh, transformation I'm going through, my cousin's wife is my coach, which is sort of strange. And she'll I'll send in my weight every day. And she'll go, keep going, that's amazing. If I've done poorly, she'll go, oh, well, try again. If I've done poorly in two days, she says, you need to stick to it. <laughs> Coaching. We need people to help us become better. If you don't like to be told anything, you'll never go anywhere. Let somebody be a coach. Let them be spiritual coaches. You know, you know in life, you, we, we need people who encourage us and, and strengthen us. Really, I stand here today because I've had spiritual people in my life who've encouraged me through my life. They're, they've coached me. They've helped me become better. They've helped me become greater than, than ever. Know. You know, I, I look at... Um, Joth here today, leading worship and praise. How amazing is he? And he's always been talented, but he wasn't always the greatest praise leader or worship leader. He was, he was talented, but he was never great. What made him greater was he got coached how to engage. I remember the first time we went to America, no one understood him because he speaks so fast. And we had to coach him, slow down. Pastor Neil, I had to coach him at times because he holds a mic down here and you can't hear him. <laughs> or he used to do rude signs with his hands and he didn't realize it. He, he would preach like that all the time. I said, Neil, you can't do that. That's wrong. He goes, no, it's the way I hold. I said, no, no, no. Coaching, so no one's getting offended with how he's holding the mic anymore. <laughs> Scott, I had to coach him. He told, <laughs> had to coach him and discipline him and minister to him. But you need people to make you, help you be accountable. Get with people who encourage you, encourage your vision. And here's the thing, by the way, have one wellspring that you, you drink out of. Let that be your main wellspring. You know, all the other things is like dessert. They're just toppings. But you, because what happens is if you confuse your diet, you get confused in your vision. <laughs> I'm just spinning this out. I mean, just letting, letting him go here because this is utterly useless as far as repentance bearing fruit in keeping with repentance, sanctification, the holiness of God, or anything like that. I mean, this is just, you got to be successful, and, you know, so you need to clear and clean things and stuff. Yeah, okay, uh-huh. Just a little thought. So, telev television evangelists should never be your wellspring. They should just be the chocolate topping. No, they, they, you should consider them to be cyanide-laced uh, rat poisoning, and you don't want to touch them with a 10-foot pole. Your wellspring should be your local church that feeds you and nourishes you and builds you and encourages you, because no tele-evangelist knows you. 
They might ask you for money, but they don't know you. They might have your email address because you got sucked into one of their things one day. Not sucked in. That's probably not the right word. Um, yeah, that, that may be the right word there. I'm going to go with that one. You got encouraged. If you sow this, you'll get a $3 billion mansion. I don't know. If somebody ever promises that, say no. Unless God tells you. Uh, well, God did tell me he was going to get a mansion now. He, he was so close to steering into some truth there. And then he just, you know, took the car and turned the wheel really hard and got right out of there. Okay. Oh, we're going real quiet here. I'm your pastor. I care for you. I care for you. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm watch. Who feeds you is very important. Because it determines the life you live. Amen? Amen. I think I'm going to stop there. Good. I, I think you should. You've done enough damage already. Because I've got another four points for next week. They're really good too. No, no. There's nothing good about the points you've given us. So four more is just going to be four more abysmal, non-biblical, nonsensical points. How is that going to help anybody? Actually, better than this week. This is just like the foundation. Next week's the topping. So if you're not here, I hope God ministers to you lovingly. <laughs> Some of you, God's speaking to you about Bible college. What? And you've looked at all the things you go on. Planet Shakers Bible College. Yeah, that's right. Get your uh, Bible degree from a Cracker Jack box. There we go. Yeah. I don't know how. If you've got a vision, you'll make it work. Some of you, God is speaking to you about your health. He's speaking to me all the time about that. Some of God's speaking about your spiritual life, your involvement. See, people, oh, I used to be involved, but, uh, you know, I'm having a, a gap year. Imagine if God had a gap year from you. I'm going to have a gap year from them. I don't know what he's talking about, and how does this fit into the structure of the sermon exactly? <laughs> but you don't have a gap year from your sport. You don't have a gap year from your hobbies, but you have a gap year from God's house. And God says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. It doesn't, it doesn't say, it's a gap year from church. There's never a gap year from church. Never. Never. Because it's the source of community that God established as a foundation to build our lives. Yes, but I've been hurt in church. Yeah, you've been hurt at work and you're still working. Oh, I've been hurt. It's, I've been hurt in church. Yeah, you've hurt on the sports field, but you go through the rehabilitation. You get the knee right to play again. Oh, I got hurt in relationship. Welcome to the world. I tell people, I've told this before, but you think about a baby. They come out of, they're created out of enjoyment, and then they sit in their mother's womb. Yeah. And they, they're in their mother's womb, and they're in their nice little apartment. They do nothing. They just roll over every now and then and kick. But they've got 
a supply, food, they've got protection, they've got warmth, they don't even have to go to the bathroom. Do nothing. And then one day, the pressure comes. And all of a sudden, they're going to a great white light. Um, and there's a weird looking dude over there in the... <laughs> He's saying, come to me. And you're hearing this lady that you've lived with for nine months and she's screaming, you did this to me! <laughs> and they come out... And... I, I guess this is a, his attempt at stand-up comedy. And, the ver- and they push you out and the very first thing is they cut off your supply. And then they slap you. So you've gone from warmth and protection into pain and been cut off. And you've been br- then you get be brought into warmth and protection. But the very first experience a child ever has is pain. Hmm. Very first. And your point is what exactly? Guess what? Pain's a part of life. No. Oh, this is so profound. <laughs> no, this is nonsense. And how you deal with it determines where you go. Like in heaven or hell or just success or failure? Yeah, notice he's not preaching anything eternal here. It's true. I, and I, I've, I've had... Um... And they're half-heartedly raising up some applause there for Russell. Way to go, Russell. True. Over the years in, in ministry, uh, we've had people on our team that hurt me. They hurt me. So what did I do? Build a wall? No, I'm not in America. Um, <laughs> that, yeah, we saw that one coming. That just came to me. <laughs> Shut down the government? No, I'm joking. Just joking. Just joking. Um, to build a wall of protection. I'm not going to believe in young people anymore, anyone. Just you and me, Sam and Amy and Jonathan, and I'm even concerned about you three. (laughs) You build a wall. And then you stop believing in people. And you, a one-man show. No, that's not God's way. God will give it to you. I'm going to believe in that Andy guy. He might have short legs and he's from Tasmania, but I believe in him. I, I believe in that person who's been through ministry for many years. I believe in Pastor Warren. I believe. Do, do you believe in Jesus? Have you considered ever preaching about, you know, Jesus? And belief keeps you going forward. Unbelief gets you sidetracked or stalled. So today, plan to succeed. So this is what we're going to do. Yeah, so we should have an altar call. Everyone who's planned to succeed, come on down and confess that you've planned to succeed and stuff. And recommit yourself to succeed in things and stuff. If any of those things I mentioned, there's some blur in your vision. You don't have a vision. 
vision. You need to renew your vision. Right. Mr. Keyboard, please play. I need some help here. Um, yeah, here comes the band. Cue sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending on the audience, trying to get them to make a decision of one kind or another. I thought, like, some alien was going to come out. <laughs> we need the Holy Spirit to help us plan to succeed. I enjoy myself. Uh, even if you don't enjoy me, I enjoy myself. I feel good. <laughs> by the way, by the way, this is truth. I'm on a, I'm on a journey of making my health better. But you know what happens? When you're not happy with something, you don't want to look at it. So I wouldn't look at my body in the mirror. I'd just look at my head. Why? Because I didn't want to see... I didn't want to see what I needed to deal with. But unless I took responsibility, I would never deal with the issue that was before me. So really, I'm just encouraging you to succeed. That's all he's doing there. He's just encouraging you. He, you know, like Jesus did. I just, you know, he just wants you to succeed, man. Because that's the plan God has for you. The, uh, which text says that? The plans God has for you are for a good hope and a good future. Yeah, they're taking part of Jeremiah 29, 11 and misapplying it here. Succeed. So you say, hey, I, I gotta re- renew my vision. I gotta get a vision. I gotta get rid of the weight that hinders me. I, I gotta clear my vision out. I've got stuff in there. I gotta make a choice to let people speak into my life. <laughs> That's risky, you know. But it's important. Yeah, it, it's risky, man. But but it's important. Yeah, so that was uh, Russell Evans and Plan to Succeed. And as far as, fail, as, as sermons go, that was a complete and abysmal failure. He didn't preach sound doctrine. He did not preach the word. He was just making up his own doctrines and his own points and his own applications and the Bible and Jesus and what was really taught there. Yeah, they're, they're just left in the dust. So I think you get the point. So what did you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash piratechristian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at piratechristian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.